0: Welcome to Deal Closers with Annette Lee where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Lee
1: Welcome to another episode of Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Tali, and I'm so excited to have Whitney Sue again on the show. Welcome, Whitney.
0: Happy to be here, Annette. Uh, grateful.
1: So let me tell you a little bit about Whitney. He is the founder of LifeBridge Capital, LLC, works with accredited investors to improve their investment returns via exceptional opportunities that multifamily syndication offers. He now has $450 under management, valued at approximately $50 million. Whitney hosts the Real Estate Syndication Show, a daily podcast where he now interview over 500 experts, providing cutting-edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. He and his wife, Chelsea, have three adopted children, two boys, and a new baby girl. Life Rich Capital's motto is, making a difference, one investor, one child at a time. Wow, that's an amazing work you're doing with that. Can you share a little bit about it? Of
0: course. Uh, you know, my, our family has been, uh, my wife and I, we've just been very blessed through the adoption uh, process. And, and uh, we have three children, like you said, through adoption and, and uh, the struggle though of the process uh, financially as well. Most people have no idea that it can cost forty to to $60,000 to get a child home through adoption. And it's real, it's real shame when there's uh, you know, over 160 million orphans in the world. You know, it's like half the size of the U.S. population. Um, and it's a very difficult process, but I like to stress to people that it's very worthwhile. And, and that's where, you know, LifeRidge Capital comes in. We want to, uh, we, we've committed half of our profits uh, personally uh, to a, a nonprofit that we're starting to, that will help families with the funding of, of adoption. And so uh, we just had a call, uh, my wife and I, with a couple last night who are, you know, they want to adopt, but they they heard the, the expense and they just it's like they just quit you know it's like well where is that going to come from you know uh, and so that's where we want to be able to come along beside them and say if you will commit you know we'll we'll find a way to make it happen
1: you know that is amazing so tell me how did you get into real estate how did this start
0: yeah it's a uh, you said we had two hours three hours right <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I won't go in there so, I'll go back to March of 2001. And in, 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 I say March because it, it was before 9 11, right? It was September, you know, when we were attacked. And, and, you know, we had no idea that we were going, our nation would be going to war. But I found myself just a few years later, spending a year of my life in Iraq, you know, toting around a machine gun, praying every day that I'm, I'm going to get to go home. And it, very, unfortunately, you know, not every guy in my squad made it home. Um, you know, so, you know, it's hard times, right? H- however, that, you know that helps mold a man, right? And you know, and you learn a lot. Uh, but but a, one thing I say that the military gave me was a, a never give up mentality. It's not it's not an option to give up when you're in combat. And so uh, you know, there's so many lives on the line. It's just not an option. And so that's what I try to keep that in mind now. And I feel like you know, in the you know, being an entrepreneur and you know, having your own business, you, you probably just have to have that mindset that it's just not an option to give up. You know, no is is not an option or quitting. You know, and so. You know, but after coming home, you know, trying to find what I was going to do as a career, I had no idea about real estate. I wasn't raised around entrepreneurs or people in real estate. I had no idea that this option was out there or even a possibility. But I quickly got hired as a police officer with Kentucky State Police. There were 1,200 applicants for five positions, and I was blessed with one of those. And so, you know, I loved working the road. I loved the structure and the discipline, being in uniform. You know, however, I had an income problem. And so that income problem pushed me to, to finding, to looking for something else. And in came real estate. And my eyes were open through you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, amongst numerous other books uh, that, you know, I, I noticed that many, I mean, so many people have built wealth in real estate and I thought if they can do it, I can do it too so we quickly purchased a couple triplexes this was in 2009 now um you know where we we made i made tons of mistakes it was like our own university uh, however we learned a lot that's you know been so valuable you know for us you know through the years but still just had the never give up mentality i eventually left the state police became a federal agent or special agent and and that moved us to virginia where we're at now still pursuing small multifamily, small single you know single family type thinking okay how many doors is it going to take for me to replace my income? Never imagining that I could purchase a hundred unit complex. Like I would have laughed at you if you had told me, you know, to even think about it at that time. And so, you know, but my eyes were eventually open to the syndication business. I was tired of looking for more tenants and toilets and trying to manage them myself and, you know, just counting every nickel and and penny that I could and where I could save, you know, a dime here. Um, And so finally, you know, I I just shifted completely to the syndication business. I actually had a whole nother business going at the same time. I'm happy to get into that, but but ultimately I found out that that I was never it was never going to be passive. And so my wife and I made it to sell everything related to that business, and so we could just completely commit to the syndication business. And then you know years later, here we are, happy to dive into anything you feel is useful in it.
1: That is amazing. I mean, you just said something that resonates so much with me, which is if they can do it, so can I. And that's one of my models. Like when I look at somebody doing what I would like to do and I look at them and I'm like, OK, if they can do it, why can't I? I mean, even like when I, I was super scared to get my driver's license and then I saw this lady and she's driving, and I'm like, if she can do it. Why can't I? So that kind of gave me the strength. So in any situation, I do the same. When I see somebody doing what I want to do, I kind of have that mentality. If they can do it, then I can too. So that's awesome. Uh, Wow, Uh, so I think not a lot of people know that, you know, these uh, syndicators that are doing 100 100 units at a time, they also started with small multifamilies and they then realized that it it was uh, hard to scale right? And that's why they move into syndications.
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Just being able to scale much faster. But I also enjoy just like running and operating a professional business and brand, you know, which, I, you know, I didn't feel that, you know, with doing small, uh, multifamily and single family, but I love having a professional brand and working with professional professionals in general, you know, whether it's our management team or brokers or whoever that is, or even our investors, you know, I just love having that, uh, that professionalism, you know, that helps us to grow you know uh, on and on and on
1: correct the deal all right so let's talk about the deal which deal are we going to talk about today
0: uh, we'll talk about a recent our most recent uh, acquisition i feel like it's relevant especially with the market everything that's going on right now
1: Awesome. All right. So what type of asset is it, and where is it located?
0: So it is a, it's multifamily. It's, I would say C plus, um, you know, C plus property, uh, but it's in Colorado Springs. It's a market that we are, are very focused on. Um, 216 units. Uh, we, we really like that market. And I mean, it's had continuous growth for like a hundred years. Uh, just very steady. And, and also my business partner, um, who's really our boots on the ground there lives in Denver, so you know it's it's very helpful since he's that close as well and and he's very skilled at what he does uh, as well and so it, it's it's been really useful to to grow quickly in that market, and this property has helped with that a lot
1: so let's deviate for a second with the deal, but how did you meet your partner because I think a lot of people including me had a struggle on finding somebody and how do you judge this is the right person to work with you
0: great question and partnerships can be like i've seen partnerships just ruin businesses you know just time and time again the wrong partnership right and and it's and and it's really hard to get out of a partnership especially once you're partnering on a deal like this because they you know in the syndication business we may own that for five to seven years or longer you know and you're partnered whether you almost like it or not uh you know for that amount of time and and so i was asked by lots of people to partner uh before i found uh, sam Rust, who's my business partner now um, I, you know, and, and I turned everybody down and because and I just, I treat it like a marriage. I, you know, I just put so much weight on this decision to partner with somebody because I've worked so hard for many years to build a brand and to build a business and all the trust and, you know, uh, in relationships with all our investors and other people in the industry in, you know, one partnership could just ruin all that. You know, so I said no to so many people because and a lot of times it was people coming to me you know, like it's first time we've ever met, and they're asking about partnering on a deal, you know, or a deal that they already have, and and it's it is comical, like you're laughing. I mean, but you know, it's like think about this. You know, you're asking me to put everything on the line here, and I it's the first time you've ever talked to me. You know, and so you know, obviously I say no, it's just not a good fit. You know, or maybe maybe not this deal, but maybe in the future. You know after we get to know each other a little better, but ultimately I was at a conference and, and my wife and I've been praying for a partner for a long time. And, uh, uh, you know, and I just feel like the, you know, somebody that has the, the morals and the, and, and just that, you know, the belief structure and, and things that, you know, the things outside of real estate are almost more important to me than their real estate ability. You know, even the people that work for us now, you know, that, you know, their integrity is more important to me. You know, like we can get them trained, I can train them or I'll, get people to train them, you know, but I can't teach you how to work hard or to be honest and things like that. You know, it is your integrity is so important. And so when I met Sam, you know we were at a large table one night at this conference eating eating dinner with lots of people i heard him talking about his faith and his family the success he had had in, in syndication business in a very short period of time and and you know I, I thought okay you know this guy sounds like he could be a really good fit um you know for a business partner and so we had another meal the next night amongst lots of people and, and you know got to know him a little bit better and finally the last night ultimately I just pulled him aside and said, Hey, you know, I'd love to have coffee for a few minutes, It's like 10 PM at night. And I was getting on an airplane at like one in the morning. And, and so we had coffee, you know, really late. We were just talking and I just laid it out there. And I just said, you know, I know we just met, but you really seem to fit the bill. My wife and I have been praying for a partner for a long time. And, and it seems like, you know, some good potential here. And, you know, are you interested? And he was very excited. And, and we talked for a long time. However, you know, he, he, he took me to the airport and we got to know each other a little better. He actually took me by his house i like to say it. i got it to his house at like eleven thirty at night and his wife had homemade bread and coffee uh ready and i, I knew it was meant to be you know right <laughs> so but but outside of that you know we were just extremely brutally honest with each other and so we you know not only them you know we knew that that's where the relationship was going. Okay. We didn't say right then we're partnering, but we knew that's why we were going to further this, this conversation. And so my wife and I, and he and his wife had numerous zoom calls where we would talk for hours and, but asking any question we could think of Okay. You know, how do you, how do you feel about this? Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Where do you, you know, but not just business, but like your family as well, your beliefs, your goals, you know, all these things that we could possibly think of uh, because we wanted to know those before we put the rings on, right. You know, before we actually, you know, commit to one another and say, this is we're we're doing this together. We want to know these things and we, you know, and I want to know that your wife believes in me as well. And my wife believes in you, you know, like, yeah, and I, I, we could have a whole, conversation here about marriage but but you know my wife you know helps me think through lots of things even if she 's not a real estate expert you know she has lots of insight about you know the Lord has given her insight in so many things and I trust that and, and so you know we had those conversations though but then I even also went back to his house and stayed there for three or four days at his house and I just encourage people to think about doing that when you 're thinking about partnering with somebody because I got to see him interact with his wife and interact with his kids and see him, you know, taking calls or whatever it may be, but even outside of business, you know, like actually be there with them at meals. And it was just really good insight to who he was and who his wife was and, you know, watch them interact. And, and because believe it or not, how he interacts with her is a reflection of how he's going to interact with me to some extent, you know? Um, and so, it's just, that was very beneficial and very worth my time. I even liked our, I like our investors to know that as well. Like I really spent a lot of time thinking through this and praying about this. And, and it's been very beneficial. And, and just knowing too, that he has complementary skills uh, to myself. You know, we don't have the same skill sets and it's really allowed even our skill sets to grow and flourish because, well, now I don't have to do all the underwriting. You know, like that's his specialty. He's he's better underwriting than I'll ever be, and I'm I'm glad. I'm I'm so thankful for that. But there's obviously things that I'm a lot better at that he couldn't care less about. You know, and so. But now that we're together and we're you know merge those things. You know, now we've grown really fast.
1: That's amazing, and that's so very important because you're not talking about just doing like one deal together, and just you know then going your other ways. You were making a decision of really merging your families together, your finances together. Because if you fail, he fails. And if that's he right. fails, you <laughs> fail. And that's one of the things that, you know, keeps me from uh, you know partnering with somebody. I want somebody to be super committed the way I am. You know, I have a family, I have a job, I have all these things, but I still put a lot of work into this, a lot of effort. So I want that person, I have so many people telling me also, you know, I want to partner with you. I'm gonna send you a bunch of deals and then like crickets. You know, and then three months later, yeah, I want to do it. You know, <laughs> that's not going to work.
0: Right.
1: It's, it's just, uh, you know, I, I like what you said, knowing them outside of real estate, because you want to make sure that the person that you partner with has the same ideas as you, the same uh, character, the same uh, values, right?
0: That's right. That's exactly right.
1: All right. So let's get back to the deal. But uh, I think this is very valuable information for people that want to partner up. All right, so how did you find this deal?
0: So this deal was brought to us through a broker that we had, we had worked with before. And, and that whole process, um, I feel like it's important to highlight because this deal was brought to us. We closed the deal there, 180 units in June of last year. And about the same time frame, this deal was brought to us, okay? But, but I'll highlight that we didn't close this deal till March of this year, okay? But it was first brought to us in like June, July of last year. Wow. Okay, but but through a broker, and I'm ha- well. I'm happy to dive into that, but I wanted to give you a chance to ask anything. You yeah, want.
1: F- please dive in. I think that's one of the challenges that people have to get brokers to send you deals to take you seriously.
0: Yeah. So ultimately, you know, when the deal was brought to us, it was it was overpriced. You know, as most seem to be right. Um, yeah. So, but we knew that, and and I just encourage you to you know, you or have somebody on your team that really understands the numbers and where we can say, okay, this is what it's worth. And the, or, or this is what it's worth to us. This is where we can make this deal work. This is where we can provide the most value to our investors and be confident in the in this opportunity. And so, you know, ultimately, the whisper price was like around 33 million, I think for this property. And, and but we knew that it, it really wasn't worth it to us uh, until we were around 28 and a half to 29 million. Okay. I mean, we just, we knew that then. And we told the broker that, you know, we were very upfront with him. We just, you know, uh, we just said, you know, we don't feel like that uh, we can make it worth our, our while at 33, even close to 33 million. And so we we stuck at that, and I just encourage you to be patient and stick to stick to your numbers, you know, and so don't get emotional because you know there'll be another deal next week, you know, to to pursue. And so you know, we we stuck to that. We said we told him we'd be around twenty eight and a half million, twenty nine, something like that, and he just said, oh, you know, no, we're not going to be around that. So we said, okay, you know, thank you, have a good day, right? See you later. So we moved on to other deals, looking at other deals and that this this property actually went under contract with another op- op- operator and you know a month or so into being under contract guess what it falls out of contract okay so and I
1: the numbers work <laughs>
0: that's right and it wouldn't work you know and I, I think they i think they were around 31 and a half to 32 million you know under contract i can't remember exactly what they had it under contract for um but significantly more than what we got it for and so but it fell out of contract and then of course the broker comes back right he comes back to us so he says we know you all can close, because we closed a property like i said not too many months before this that were similar size and price range and and so he said we'd love for you all to make an offer and we said well you know this is still about where we're at we know we already know what this property is worth but one thing i'll highlight is that because of this delay guess what now it's a couple months later and we get to see financials again on this property so you know, very, su- such an important key year, we got to see financials again and we, and we got to, you know, compare to what it was a few m- months previous. And so we noticed that the occupancy had dropped quite a bit. Okay. So, you know, that's that's good to know, right? And,
1: that, was that due to the current pandemic or just because of management?
0: Oh, no, this is like fall of last year. Oh, okay. So, so that's before any, any, of the this, any of this on. stuff in the market was happening. It was like fall, fall of, of uh, 2019. And so things are still flourishing, right? But, but we noticed occupancy dropping. And ultimately, it was just extremely poor management, a group that was self-managing really poorly. And I can even give you stories about that. But, but, you know, that was the biggest reason. So, but we got to see financials again. We noticed there's a problem. We tell the broker, nope, you know, we're still at 28 and a half, 29 million, somewhere around there. And he says, well, no, you know, it's not worth making an offer, but, you know, he knows where we're at. So a couple more months go by, right? He comes back, said, we'd still love for y'all to make an offer. Said, okay, you know, so we did. And, and I think we were around 28 and a half to 29 when we, you know, put it in, just like we said. And ultimately, you know, we get the property for about 29 and a half million. Um, and so, uh, which was many millions less than, than what the other group had it under contract for. But we got, we got financials for a third time during this process. And we still noticed the occupancy drop. Okay. And so it gave us more leverage, right? It allowed us to get a better deal because we were patient and we just stuck to our numbers. Uh, you know, and that that deal didn't close till March, you know, of the next year, even though it was first presented to us in like June or July of the year before. Uh, and so ultimately, we had to be patient and we had to just stick to what we knew that would work for us. And we are so thankful, obviously, that we did now, right? And when we closed this deal like, two days before the country went on lockdown, you know, <laughs> before all this, you know, we didn't know then obviously that all this was going to happen, but we're so grateful that we stuck to our numbers because if we hadn't, we'd be in trouble now, you know, yeah, absolutely. so we stuck to our numbers and we have an amazing reserve budget. And we can get into some of that, but, but, you know, we're still sleeping good at night because of, of having patience, sticking to our numbers, uh, you know, and other things that we did to prepare.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where we as investors get in trouble, right? When we just get emotional about the deal and we just want to get it. And, you know, what if I just put a little bit more, if I just, you know, instead of sticking to your numbers, you just like, what if I add a little bit more to the number and then I can get it. Right. And I am grateful. My husband is my, <laughs> my bring me back to, <laughs> to the ground. And he's like, no, you know, stick to the numbers. Right. He's awesome at doing that. All right. So we talk about how did you find it and the listing price. So how did the negotiation go once you sent your, um, you know, you kind of negotiated like three times, but then once you send your, um, your official offer, you had already looked at the financial. Was there any other negotiation after that?
0: You know, we didn't retrade. You know, which is you know is a term you know you hear a lot. You know, people you don't want to retrade, right? You don't if you can keep it all from it. However, there are times where it's a must. I mean, you don't you're not going to pay two million dollars too much for a property if after you find out there's big issues just because you don't want to retrade, right? However, yeah, you do you don't want to be somebody that's known to retrade, but but we've done a lot of due diligence beforehand. You know, just because we had all that time, we had looked at the property numerous times. Uh, We almost knew what problems. And and another thing I just thought of was our management team has been in that market since the early 90s. Okay, they've been there for 30 years, uh, you know, and they know this market so well. And one key thing, though, is that our management team managed this property for five or six years, like five or six years before we purchased it okay so they knew this property so well they they gave us so much insight like you really need to look at these things or this is what was repaired when we managed it i mean like that was so valuable you know that's why that team member is so crucial Uh, but they know this market so well they've been there so long and they had even managed this property and provided amazing insight and so we knew lots of those things going in you know obviously, we get their opinion on underwriting and and what they feel like the market you know can hold here you know as far as pushing rents and because they know those things so well and you know managing thousands of units they just really have a pulse on the market and so you know that anyway that was very beneficial uh, and then moving forward with that property i mean they've they've just continued to just be an amazing team member
1: and you you mentioned the vacancy rate was higher and higher every time you look at this property uh, what was the percentage when you more or less when you uh Offered on the
0: property. Yeah, so I think we were in the like mid 70s, you know, percentage, you know, as far as occupied, uh, and so you know that was one reason we we had to go with bridge debt, you know, as well, you know, because it wouldn't it wasn't considered stabilized, and 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 I would also say that uh, um, why anyway, your management team is so important, but a way that we um, you know we didn't want it to be 70% occupied. I remember it was in the low 70s when we actually put it under contract. But we didn't want it there when we, when we closed, right? And so ultimately, we have another property that's 180 units. It's about a half a mile from this one. And, and all of our, this property is mostly two bedrooms. And we had another property there where the two bedrooms have just done amazing. I mean, so much better, I mean, in six months than we ever projected the whole life of the deal. And they were, the two bedrooms were 100% occupied. So as tenants come there, you know, obviously, if, we, if they're wanting a two bedroom and we don't have it, where do you think we're sending them? you know, we're sending them to this property, we have it under contract. And ultimately we're raising the value of the property before we ever put it under, before we ever close on it. Right. And so, you know, we had the, we had the occupancy almost 80% by the time we closed on it. Okay. Uh, And so, and these are people that we are, uh, we're, um, um, the word has just left me. But we're qualifying, yes. You know, we're qualifying these tenants and sending them to our to our new property before we even close, and so we're raising that occupancy, raising the value before we ever close.
1: That's an amazing idea uh, on on how to you know raise equity. So, for people that don't know, why did you go from an agency loan to a bridge loan? Right? Like, can you ex- expand on that?
0: Sure. Sure. So. You know, bridge debt is usually, it usually means there's some type of, it's, it's a bridge to get to, you know, to have a stabilized property, or maybe it's a large rehab, and you have to vacate vacate half the property to do it. Sometimes that's, you know, you have to do that. Um, and, and during that time, you know, you're not going to have as much income, there's going to be reasons, that, but, obviously, but, you know, we have, this property has the income, however, you know, to get agency debt, you know, they want it to be stabilized, stabilized property, so, you know, at least 80 to 90%. Uh, occupied right and so this property was under that so we couldn't even apply for agency debt so we had to go the bridge route and so you know there's there's some um, negatives obviously sometimes it's just three-year you know term on bridge debt and so but we have a three-year term with two one-year extensions and so we know we have five years however you know sometimes the agency debt you may get 10 years which would be preferred uh, but that doesn't mean we're not going to do do the deal and also with bridge debt you may have a floating rate uh, you know meaning that You know, your, your interest rate can, can float a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, I feel like that there's a stigma there, though, that seems so negative and people steer away because of the floating rate. But ultimately, you know, I've heard some, some very sophisticated people who have lots more experience than me, you know, talk about how like 1% of bridge debt, like actually, you know, float much at all or go way too high or, you know, kill a deal. So it's such a low percentage, but also we purchase what's called a cap, meaning we know that this, this, the rate is only going to go so high. You know and then we account for that you know if the rate was this high forever can we still provide our you know investor re- or projected returns and things like that so it's ultimately you know we we don't feel like there's a ton of risk other other than knowing we have to refire our sale within say 5 years that's really our biggest risk and that that comes back to our planning you know in year by the end of year 2 we're going to be planning that exit you know and and making sure you know i mean we're making sure we're on track all the time but we're really thinking about it way early making sure we're we're going to achieve that
1: one way or the other absolutely and i think the financing was like in the perfect time because right after you close probably all the financing terms changed.
0: Yes, our lender actually texted us that night uh, that we closed and said, you were the last deal we pushed through for the next 30 days.
1: Wow, how lucky because I've heard of people (laughs) being canceled on the closing table, like the bank backed out last That's right,
0: yes, or or two days before. I mean, I've heard lots of stories like that.
1: All right, so how did you fund the deal? I know that this was a syndication, so can you uh, tell our listeners how how does that work?
0: Yeah. So, uh, the how does the debt or the equity? The,
1: the syndication, how does the syndication work in terms of funds, how do you- Yeah,
0: do you do? so ultimately there's a portion that we're raising from investors, right? Who are, are also called limited partners. You know, we're raising, whether it's the down payment, whether we're doing a CapEx budget, meaning what we're gonna use to renovate the property, things like that, or a reserve budget, uh, operating budget, you know, things like that. We're raising that money from investors who want to invest passively, meaning, you know, they don't, they don't we're not calling them to ask you know, what paint color to use. However, you know, they're making a great return. They're investing in our operations and me as an individual, you know, or, and as an operator, you know, in our, 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 our relationship more than anything, but they get to invest. So they're a big part of that. But then also, obviously, we have to get debt. You know, we have to find a lender who's going to lend on this property. We have to find somebody who believes in us as well, on that side to raise that, that side of, of the debt as well. And so, you know, just thinking about, you know, what, what is that loan to purchase and things like that. Um, but we also raised a, a massive reserve budget. Uh, and so we have just this massive reserve budget sitting over here in the bank. So any rainy day, and, and again, I like to stress, like it was before, you know, this all coronavirus, all this stuff happened. And, I, you know, I was even questioned by many experienced operators about this large reserve budget because it does lower the returns right? It does lower the returns to investors somewhat to have this reserve budget over there. But I'll tell you, you know, in the same week, our our country was shut down, you know, and guess what? Us and our investors can still sleep at night and we're, and we are still able to provide our distributions. Okay. Because, you know, because we plan for this, we'd actually planned for 30% vacancy for the whole first year. And we're not even close to that, even with all this mess happening right now, you know, so just being extremely conservative, having that reserve budget, you know, and it, like I said, we can also sleep good because of it.
1: That is amazing. But you didn't know about the, the, the coronavirus. So what was the purpose of that reserve initially?
0: It just because of something like this potentially happening. You know, okay. we still want to know we can still operate. We still want to know we can still pay our bills. Worse comes to worse. We want to be able to weather that storm. If two buildings burn down, we want to still be able to operate, you know but we still want to be able to get them built back. You know, like even that is a loan. Some people don't realize that a lot of times, you know, the insurance companies will make you provide the money somehow to build a building back before they'll actually refund you, you know, or you got to have some capital somewhere. Right. right. Um, and so we, that's the biggest reason. I mean, we always want a large reserve budget and, and ultimately to protect our investors and ourselves uh, and just the operations of the property.
1: What percentage did you use for your reserve?
0: Yeah. So great question. Um, ultimately, you know, like we, we, we have a million and a half dollars in reserve budget for this property. Okay. And, and, you know, some people say they want like one month of operating expenses or two months of operating expenses. And honestly, that's just not near enough for me. You know, it's just not near enough for me. I like, I want to be able to fund investor returns for two years. You know, if I, you know, if, if something just even worse than the coronavirus happens, uh, you know, and we can, you know, with that budget, we can fund investor returns or distributions for two years if we had to. Some people will say, well, that's a return of capital. Well, to some extent, yes, at that point, if, if it got that bad, but we're still not at that point. Um, you know, like I said, and ultimately having planning for like a 30% vacancy for the whole first year, again, like, I mean, we're still, we're doing better than that still, even taking over a property uh, that had extremely poor management um, you know, and that's that's why it's in the shape it's in. Uh, you know, we're still able to bring our management team in uh, and and improve that property and still perform better than we expected, even during this crisis.
1: That's amazing. Uh, I think a lot of um, syndicators, with, um, they had to cut their um, distributions to investors during this right. time, and you were prepared for it. So that's amazing. Uh, and, not- that's,
0: and that's not always bad. You know, it is, you do want enough cash in the bank, right? But, but it was, and to give you an idea, like a distribution for one month is like 2% of the capital that we have in the bank, you know, so we can still pay distributions easily and still weather a storm, a big storm.
1: That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about the, of the challenges that your management company had to deal with once you, you took over
0: yeah you know obviously we took over right during this big mess right and you know we didn't know all the tenants yet you know we, our team who just took over the leasing office you know you know had to go immediately virtual right or they had to immediately operate without having an office you know or a place where tenants can come into so immediately doing polls immediately calling every tenant to figure out okay you know What, what's your job situation? You know, we are, we are kind of the new kids on the block, right? You know, we're the, we're the new management team and we want to express to them that we care about you. We want to work with you. You know, the, I mean, like I said, the week that we took over, like within two days, you know, all of a sudden they can't leave their apartment. You know, uh, and so you know, we started doing numerous polls, calling them, texting, emailing, to figure out, okay, what's your job situation? What type of industry do you do you work in? You know, what what kind of percentage of of job loss do we expect? So ultimately, we can we can project, say, next month we're going to have this many tenants that don't have jobs. We know that if they don't work for a couple of weeks, they can't afford rent a lot of times, right? It's unfortunate, yeah. but it's it's the truth. Um, and so you know, they're hardworking people, but you know they they have to have a job they have to have the job and so we, we calculated about 4% at that time of tenants that that would possibly lose their job and we were thrilled with that right i mean we were thrilled with just 4% because we know lots of lots of operators who are you know more than double that you know, that are losing, losing, uh, tenants that are losing jobs. So, th- you know, that was just a few things. You know, obviously the communication barrier, right. You know, we, we have to be careful about going and knocking on people's doors. All right. Thankfully we had already done due diligence, you know, um, uh, myself and our team had already toured every unit, you know, before all this happened. Uh, and so, you know, all that wasn't an issue yet. Um, but those were some barriers and, and thankfully because of, you know texting and phone calling and emailing we can still communicate with everybody and still show that we care still show that we're trying to work with them even though they're experiencing a very hard time
1: that is awesome I think uh, there was a lot of question in the first weeks of um, the pandemic going on if you should be either proactive or reactive right how should you you, you do the management and I had you know uh, people that are very experienced that they were like, no, we're not saying anything. We're just waiting for the rent at the end of the month. And if it doesn't show up, then I'm going to talk to them. That's too late. Yes. And I was like, you know, what do I do? Like I was thinking about it. I only had the time, uh, 12 tenants of my own. So I was like trying to decide. And every day I would hear somebody experience say the opposite. So I ended up calling each one of my tenants. And I think it was the best approach for me in my situation because I could foresee who was gonna be late. Um, And then I could also find out who was still working. And at that time, everybody was still working, which was great. Uh, A couple told me, you know, a couple of them told me that they may be having reduced hours, but then I was prepared for it. So that was uh, definitely a, a good move for me. And so now we're, you know, seeing that they are getting their stimulus checks and hopefully they will be able to do their next months rent
0: too communication is key all the time you know with team members and with tenants you know and you you have to remember that it's a very stressful time for them for so many people in our country right now such a large percentage obviously is on unemployment now um, but it's a very stressful time they're trying to put food on their table and you know they're worried about getting kicked out of their apartment when they when they have no job i mean very stressful time and i think that just that phone call goes a long way to say, Hey, you know, we, we understand, you know, we see what's happening and we want you to communicate with us. Ultimately, it, you know, it's going to push a lot of people just to be silent, you know, as a tenant, because they, they don't want to talk to you because they're afraid you're going to kick them out. Yeah. Right. And so we want to be proactive and say, no, we're here to help you. We understand, like, we don't want you to go anywhere. Even if you can't pay your rent next month, we're not trying to kick you out, you know, Absolutely. but we want you to communicate with us and let us know these things.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think showing them that you care uh, also changes their approach to you because there is a lot of movement of don't pay rent. But if you're seeing that your landlord is, you know, worrying about you and like is communicating with you, you're gonna have less of a, um, a percentage of people trying to to do that, right? Right. Right. All right. So, what is your exit strategy? We talked a little bit about it. Uh, what was your your final goal with this property?
0: Yeah. So, you know, we will exit in say uh, five years or earlier, probably earlier than that, you know, but, uh, but you know, that's something I, I talked a little bit about earlier. We'll be planning that, you know, in year. I mean, we were already planning it long before we ever bought it, but, but ultimately we'll be putting some concrete uh, to that plan in, say, year two you know, we'll, we'll know how many renovations have been done. We'll understand, uh, we'll know, you know, that the market rent has done what we projected or better, um, you know, and, and exactly what our income levels are and, and just see that growth, you know, up to that point. And so we'll be able to say, okay, in year, you know, say three and a half to four, we've accomplished our goal, or we've accomplished our projections for investors. And, and so we'll look to exit right then. You know, it's say you're, you know, beginning of year four, we'll we'll sell the property. You know, um, or you know, if, if let's say this virus and everything just gets so much worse, you know, just for ch- by chance it gets worse. You know, and 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 we can't achieve that goal, say by year two or three that we thought where we thought we would be. Then obviously we'll be looking to refinance, right? The property will be stabilized. The rents will be better. You know, we'll do a refi. We'll pay out, you know, a large amount, you know, to our investors, returning a lots of capital. But the, they'll still be invested in the deal. I like to add that. You know, they'll still be invested in the deal, but we'll return a lot of their capital, and then we may keep it for five more years, you know, something like that. So
1: I think that that's the the advantage of it. it there's options, right?
0: That's right. There are definitely options, you know, and and investors know, you know, that that's our plan in the beginning to have a five year hold and to exit say in year four or something like that or before, um, you know, depending on what the market's doing. But, you know, they are also trusting us and our expertise and experience that, you know, let's say in year three and a half or four, you know we are we're just because of this virus or whatever because of what's happened we're not where we wanted to be and it's not the best time in the market to sell uh, depending on what's happening then we're going to do a refi or you know we're going to hold the property for you know a few more years uh, and that's that's why they're investing in us and with us
1: absolutely and also the advantage is that the property is not valued necessarily just at the market, but at the income of the property itself, correct? So if if there is a a problem in the economy, the property, if you're renovating it and the rents are going up and your income is going up and your expenses are going down, then your value is still gonna go up, correct?
0: That's right. We still own a property. I like to tell people like, if you just just had all your money in the stock market, you just watched, you know, 30, 40% of it vanish. Right. I mean, just gone. You know, part of it may have come back. Part of it leaves again. You know, you you don't know where it's at. Right. It's gone. You can't you can't just go get it. You can't see it. Uh, But like, you know, when all this happened, we didn't have four buildings just vanish. You know, they're still there. Right. You know, investors can go see them and touch them and watch, you know, watch things operate you know, they can walk the property with us. Um, We still have the property, we still have so much control over that investment, you know, in in our operations. So you're right, you know, if we increase the income, we increase the value of the property. And even if we have to hold it another year, uh, which, you know, isn't the end of the world, right? It didn't just vanish, right? You're you're still making money, um, you know, a preferred return, at least, uh, preferably a lot more than that, uh, you know, by that time, uh, you know, as opposed to just vanishing
1: awesome and did you know you had a really good plan you had really good reserve but did the pandemic change any of the uh, plans that you had at the beginning
0: of course so all all capex stuff all renovations are just on hold other than like say safety related things you know like clean up around the property property had lots of trash around it you know um which is something you kind of want to see when you're looking for properties right mm-hmm. um and so lots of trash lots of just mismanagement we had we had somebody secret shop the property before we bought it and and you know, our, our one, a team member went up to the door. It was 5 till 10. The sign on the door said, we open at 10. She knocks on the door and somebody comes to the door, opens the door and says, we open at 10 come back later. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, just, you know, it's five minutes, right? You know, it was that simple things like that, like just extremely poor mismanaged. Um, but, you know, obviously when we took it over, we plan to start that renovations immediately, you know, and all the vacant units and, and then just start turning pro- units over. But obviously that's on hold you know, that's one of the biggest changes. Obviously the communication level with tenants have has gone up, but in a very different method than we expected. Right. Um, you know, so obviously we didn't just give up, but you know we find a different method or way to communicate. Uh, and so, but renovations, things like that have obviously been the biggest thing that we've had to put on hold. And then, and then just holding tenants, like we, we want retention, right? We, uh, a vacant unit pays you nothing. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what, it's, it's never going to pay you anything just to be empty that i know of anyway uh you know and so you know even if somebody can't pay for a month during this crazy time or even two months if they're a good tenant like we want them to stay you know and so you know thinking through things like that you know we've never allowed partial payments in the past but guess what now we're there's an exception right there has to be an exception we're going to work with them we want them to stay
1: yeah and so these units that are vacant uh, and empty that are empty and you were planning to do renovations are you planning to rent them the way they are or are you going to keep them empty
0: so we we may just not um renovate them to the level that we were looking at you know at the beginning we may just do you know obvious obvious repairs safety related things that have to be done and then as people want units we're gonna we're, we're gonna rent them you know, we're going to fill them up, we've, we've actually rented quite a few units over the last few weeks. And so surprisingly, and so people are not trying to move. But however, there are people that are still needing places to go. And so if they're qualified, we're still renting those units, but we're not going to spend all the capital, you know, let's say five to $7,000 to bring them, you know, where we wanted, when we can't rent them at that level at this time, you know, like we know we're not going to do that right now. Um, And so so we're going to get them rent ready. um, But then, You know we're gonna rent them to people that are qualified but we're not gonna like i said gonna put all that capital into them at this time
1: absolutely that's a smart way to do it because you want to keep the vacancy low you want to keep filling up your requirements and i was really worried i had one tenant leaving at the end of this month and um you know when people call me for because i manage myself and i have just you know 12 units um i keep their numbers you know, and I tell them that if something opens up, I will let you know. So I had this person contact me a couple of times. And so this guy I was I kept asking me, Are you still living? Are you still living? Because I thought maybe he's not in the middle of this mess, but he decided yes, he's living. So I called this person that had been calling me for months and I'm like, I have one and he I rented it like in one day.
0: Wow.
1: To to have that uh, system in place, right? That I keep the numbers of the people that are calling me. And so I called the first person that I called, he took the apartment and he was already kind of qualified because I already had spoke with him many times and, you know, he still had to do the application, but there's still people looking for housing even right now.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: Expert tips. All right. So now we go to the part of the show where you're going to give me three expert tips. And I was talking to Whitney, and he's going to give us three tips on how to maximize your productivity using a VA, a virtual assistant.
0: Virtual assistants have changed my business. And, you know, a few things that you need to know, well, you know, doing a daily podcast pushed me to grow a team that, that weren't all in the office right you know other people that have specific skills and so one thing about using a virtual assistant is you have to know what you're using them for okay you have to think about is it you know is it this one task over here because you can hire them to be really good at this one task it could be data entry it could be research it could be editing audio for a podcast you know this one specific thing or are you looking for somebody that's, say, that amazing executive assistant that's really going to be your right hand and help you with lots of things? Because it's, it's two separate types of hires, okay? You know, this person over here, that's the executive assistant I'm going to do a background credit check on and, you know, do a, maybe a series of interviews, you know, and different things because they, they, they put, they're my right hand you know, and they play such a large role and they have access to lots of information, you know, so I have to know who they are, Uh, you know, and I want to make sure there's somebody that's going to stay long-term where this person over here, they may do something for me numerous days a week, but it's just this like one revolving task. They don't have access to systems or portals or emails or CRMs, things like that. But, you know, so I just need to know that they're skilled at that one thing, right? And another thing you need to think about is when you're advertising for a VA, your job description is key. So, you know, the title and the job description, you want to be very detailed in what, you know, and what you're looking for, what you're using them for. They need to know right away because you're going to waste a lot of time interviewing people if you, if you, you know, didn't have a good job description. Okay. And in that job description, I always like like to make a way for people to stand out. Okay. So briefly in maybe like a half a sentence in the last paragraph of my job description, I'll have a list of things I need them to be able to do or be good at, depending on what it is. But I'll even, especially from like this executive assistant position, I'll put a little sentence in there that says, if, if you're serious about this position, send me a video application. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I won't say anything else about it. Okay. But then I'll see who actually, who actually went that extra mile, right. To give me that, you know, that little extra detail there. Who paid attention to that? You know, I, I may who also read ask, it? <laughs> what's that?
1: <laughs> who read it completely? That's right. That's, a lot that's of exactly completed. right.
0: I'll have people say they read it, but they, they, they will never mention that, you know. I may also say, you know, give me a description of how you fulfill the roles above. You know, I'll give them a list of things that they need to know how to do and send me that on one page in PDF format. Okay. And that's all I'll say about that. And then you know i'll have people that send me amazing answers but they send it to me in a word document you know or and that may sound silly but i but it helps me to see there you know just are are they paying attention to every detail you know are they really thinking through this are they re- do they really care about this position um because ultimately if not you know if they halfway did it or didn't do it at all i mean because you'll see copy and paste stuff you know all the time of just their resume um but then you know, I use Upwork a lot, you know, to find those people and I'll, you know, hire them through Upwork and, and use the Upwork platform, uh, you know, to even pay them for, for a long time. Um, but then ultimately, you know, how do you keep them on board? And, and it's something that, that I've worked on a lot more recently is, you know, like showing them that they're, that they're part of the team right they have to feel wanted they have to feel like their job is necessary and that they're contributing and so it's something i've had to work on and revamp even just recently i've been trying to hire somebody for this executive assistant position again and and it's been really difficult to find somebody that that you know really has the high level of uh, integrity and morals and 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 but is skilled as well you know, and it's not as easy as you may think. Uh, and so, I've been conducting lots of interviews, but but I say, conduct an interview and ask ask questions about not just their skill set, but ask them about who they are. Ask them about what they like to do on the weekend. I like to ask, what are the five most important things to you? And that's it. Like, what are the five most important things to you? And because that's going to show me a lot about who they are and it's going to allow me to lead into a lot more questions about what's important to them. And they may say, well, you mean personally or, and I'll just say any way you want to answer it, what are the five most important things to you? And, you know, and the top two things are going to tell me a lot about them. You're going to hear family and kids and, you know, their work and things like that. But, but there's still a couple more things there. They got to dig just a little bit uh, to, to really tell me a little more about them. Because uh, that's, again, just like finding that business partner, that's more important to me. If they're editing a podcast, that's not always okay. I don't have to know those details, right? I just, just send me some files or I, maybe I send you a file of a raw uh, podcast, you know, and allow you to do a little work and me to see your work. And ultimately then, you know, show me some references and, and we're kind of good, you know? Uh, but ultimately this executive assistant's a very different hire. So I hope that was helpful.
1: Yeah, that's amazing information. I mean, I love the fact that you are, you know, asking them for a specific task. And then if they don't do it, you know, then, you know, they are not uh, paying attention to detail. You know, if if a decision that you are looking for, you need somebody that needs to pay attention to the detail, then, you know, you without a lot of people that didn't pay attention.
0: That's right. You can spend a lot of time doing interviews and you didn't have to.
1: Right. I think, I've been hiring and using a lot of, uh, I guess, virtual assistants in the last uh, six months and, You know, one of the things that was driving me crazy is like I would send them all these things I want them to do, and then I would get the result and it wasn't 100%. So I just made a list, you know, and it was like a checklist. Before you send me a file, check that all of these things are done. And it was like problem solved, right? Because they had to do this before, like it was mostly for editing of the videos. Uh, You know, check the quality and check that the logo and check that this is done and the music and the sound and the volume. And, and I would hope
0: that you didn't have to do that.
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> what
0: I mean? Like I would like to find somebody that can, that knows to do that before I have to tell them.
1: Right, right. but you know, it was for me, it was also, you know, starting to do it, right? So I right. had to do like a system. So I did mine the first video or the first couple of videos by myself. And then I was like, how do I get somebody to do it the way I want it, right? Yep, so then I made a guide of what I want, but then he, he was, I really like working with him because I work with other people, but I didn't like necessarily working with them. But I like to work with this guy. So I said, okay, if I make you a checklist then, and then he's doing it awesome since then. So I guess I understood how the system works. I, I heard a lot of people talking about <clears throat> have your systems before you start hiring other people. And I really didn't understand what it meant until I did that, and I'm like, "Oh, okay. I guess that's a system because then he can follow it, and then we're gonna for do sure. it." Sure. Absolutely, Whitney. This has been an amazing uh, episode. Thank you so much for adding so much value uh, to my audience. I had a lot of fun learning, and we are—I can believe it's been already an hour. <laughs> Thank you so much.
0: My pleasure. And uh, happy to be here.
1: And for people that um, wanna get in contact with you, where can they find you?
0: Go to lifebridgecapital.com. You can email me, Whitney at lifebridgecapital.com. You can call or text five four zero five eight five four three three eight. I'd love to connect. You can go to our website and and you can you can find a, a a sheet there that we created for passive investors that tell you the pros and cons of investing in a real estate syndication deal. And things you need to know before you invest, Uh, you know, maybe things you need to ask the operator, things you need to talk to your CPA about, uh, different things like that. But also, if you have a listener who is looking to adopt a child, my wife and I have numerous calls with couples. We just did uh, last night as well uh, with couples who are looking to adopt and don't know how to get started. And we would love to help you uh, any way that we can. So please reach out.
1: Wow, that's an amazing call. Thank you so much, Whitney. My pleasure.
0: This was Deal Closers with Annette Talley, brought to you by Talley Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.talleyinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode?
1: Subscribe, like, and share.